A quick hello and we're good to go. Welcome to the show, Lily Ray. I love it. I love that song. I was waiting for that. Brilliant. Wonder I almost forgot, actually. I was so stressed out by <laughs> I was going to remind you. <laughs> yeah, we, we, so we start off with the song. Then we say, welcome. Brilliant. Lovely to see you here. You were mentioning that last time we were on screen, it was with Duda, and there was an update during the program. Yep. Typical. Is that, that going to happen again today? Let's hope not. Right. Not so in the mood. Oh, right. Oh, dear. Oops. Oops, dearie me. Oh, I might have made a mistake then. Right, off we go. Look at your brand, Serp. Here we go. That's you in America. Uh, you're a musician and you've got your Twitter boxes and your site and you've got an entity home and that's absolutely delightful. Then, oh, you've done a really brilliant job of building up that, that knowledge panel. I remember a year ago, maybe it was, there was great confusion and you've absolutely nailed it. There is only one Lily Ray now. Thanks. And if you we look me. in the UK, you've got a description. For nice. some reason, the description works in the UK for Google. I would imagine it's because it's looking at you as a musician, primarily in New York, where I was looking before, and it's kind of feeling a bit foolish about putting the description, or I might be putting much too much emphasis on Google's emotion and shame, which it probably doesn't actually have. What do you reckon? I see the description go in and out when I check. Right. Um, it's a good sign when it's there because a lot of the times Google seems to not understand that I do both digital marketing and music. So I like when it's there because it's pulled from our my company website. Yeah, it really struggles with multifacetedness, as Andrea Volpini calls it. Um, and the pills at the top, the filter pills that we're now seeing more and more on, in America at least, and for people, allows it to show, you know, different things like listen to and videos and um, TV shows and whatever else the person has done. So that kind of aspect of multifacetedness is starting to come in. But the subtitle, because it's got that limited space, and I think also because human beings don't really like people with multifaceted kind of job titles or, or life titles uh, we'll probably stick to for you musician i'm a musician too strangely enough you are indeed you're a very good musician oh oh thank you ooh, i'm now blushing i know you're a brilliant dj so uh, <laughs> we can just uh, compliment each other for the next hour how delightful <laughs> now you said no updates today look at this the oh, knowledge geez. graph is updating as we speak so it does happen. Every time you and I are on screen together, there is some kind of googly update. And what I wanted to do, I mean, I was looking at this, and it struck me how incredibly volatile the knowledge graph has been over the last kind of six weeks. And it corresponds to the volatility that you'll be talking about later on in the core algorithms and the SERPs. And it started to update yet again today. So it's, uh, we're looking at eight updates in six weeks. That's phenomenal, because if you look at the one at the top, that's the same period from last year. It updated twice, then took a big, long, festive holiday. And this time it's updated twice and then gone totally nuts during the festive season. So the knowledge graph is updating at the moment incredibly frequently, loads of activity going there. And it happens to correspond to core updates and volatility on the SERP, which I think might prove to be the pivotal point where we went from strings to things. And it's now in the core algorithm as opposed to just being a soundbite from Google. That's my take on it. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I have no idea if that's true or not, but it's it's feasible for sure. And definitely like it's not just the knowledge graph and obviously like the core updates and everything, but there's all kinds of Google updates happening everywhere. <laughs> like Discover is also seeing a lot of volatility for our clients in the past couple of weeks and months too. And so it's just been really hard to keep track of everything that's going on across all the different features. 
Right. No, it's gone nuts. And they're adding gazillions of different rich elements, SERP features that, that right. it's really hard to keep up with. And the platforms are struggling to actually track them all and add them all. And the experiments <laughs> right, left and center. And yeah. And I've stuck my neck out saying that that is my prediction of 2022. We'll look back on this and think that was the day. That was <laughs> the moment. That's when it all changed. But later on, you'll be looking into 2022 with your crystal ball. And that will be terribly, terribly exciting. But let's start with the end of the year, which is the last six weeks. How many updates? How mad has it, a bit, has it been? And how much have your clients been suffering or, or, or winning, depending <laughs> on which kind of client they are? We've had a few big wins recently. Um, so I would say in the last several weeks, first of all, there were all kinds of external factors and confounding variables. We had a core update, the November core update that launched a week before Thanksgiving which always impacts you know, traffic and visibility and rankings for a lot of different types of websites. We have Black Friday and Cyber Monday, which have a huge impact on e-commerce sites, generally speaking. So that was all rolling out at the same time, which was really hard to isolate the impact. Um, and then like two weeks after that, we had the product review update. And I don't think that, so there was another product review update in April. And that took a while to roll out. I think it had a much bigger impact than a lot of people seem to be giving it credit for. And then this new product review update was massive. Like it actually looks like it was bigger than the November core update for a lot of the sites that I take that I like monitor and analyze. So there's definitely something going on. And the product review updates seem to be sort of behaving like core updates in many ways. Right. Is that because you deal with a lot of e-commerce sites or is it have you separated out the e-commerce sites from the non-e-commerce sites? So not necessarily, like, yes, we do, and those sites are impacted, but the, those aren't the only types of sites that are affected by the product review update. That's what I think is most interesting about it. I think a lot of people don't necessarily realize they have product review websites. <laughs> Maybe they do now, but like a lot of these big publishers who happen to have a section of the website that talks about product reviews or have affiliate links or anything like that, a lot of them are being impacted. And that's a lot of the biggest publishers on the internet, right? Like that's how they make money. So if right. you have top five best, you know, wireless headphones in 2021, that's a product review page. If your website's comprised of lots of pages that are like that, you're a product review website, whether or not you, you think you are. So those are the types of sites that are really seeing big impacts. And we do have a couple of like product review clients who are just seeing massive, massive volatility with this update. Right. And and that was the one in November. So you said two weeks after the 17th of November one, the core update. So that was beginning of December. That was a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, December 3rd, I believe it started rolling out. And then it took like 10 days or so to complete. Right. And and, yeah. and that was from your, I mean, now now we can look back on it after that fun day at Duda when we, dis, when we were on, on air with it. Has it been more impactful than the one in April? Or was it a rollback on the one in April? Or is it pushing things further? I don't know that it was necessarily a rollback. I think it was more like a refinement. Um, and you know, it's not the case that sites that went up went down this time, like across the board, there's all right. kinds of vol volatility. Um, there was a site, bestreviews.com, that I was actually, a lot of this year, I probably even including that, that webinar we did together, I was talking about them as an example of a site that seems to have benefited from the first update. Um, and that's like a generalist review site that actually does put a lot of time and effort into their reviews. Mm. And if you read the reviews, they're very consistent with what Google's documents say about what it means to have a good product review. But this update like completely tanked their visibility almost to where it was earlier in the year. So I was pretty surprised by that. But that was just one example of several where the site is a jack of all trades review website. 
And, you know, even with the exact match domain, bestreviews.com, not to say they're not doing great work, but like, I wonder if Google is looking more for like subject matter expertise on the domain right. level. And that's something I'm seeing with a lot of sites that are going up is that they actually specialize in like fashion or beauty or tech or whatever the case may be. Right. Oh, that, that's that's really interesting. And that kind of idea of specialization, I mean, it's, it's topical relevancy and Google here's my shout out about that is Google seeing topics as entities, which obviously they are, and being able to map those entities to different um, websites and companies. I mean, I see CaliCube will rank relatively well, despite our weakness in links and uh, mm -hmm. other traditional signals for things around the knowledge graph, knowledge panels, and so on and so forth. And if I post an article about SEO in general, we are absolutely nowhere. Mm -hmm. um, so kind of, I get the impression that there is that kind of topical mix but i don't have any sorry a match excuse me but i don't have any any hard and fast proof so that's the product updates uh what are the other ones we saw we saw the spam ones during the summer i mean did they affect you in any way or because i got the feeling that google is suddenly now shouting about spam publicly hmm. more than they were and i get the impression they're more confident that they're dealing with the problem hmm. yeah there were a few different types of spam updates that they launched this year and i think like there were two of them that were specifically spam that were like precursors to core updates. So yeah. if you actually look at the timing, it was like a spam update happened and then a core update happened the next week, which I thought was pretty interesting. But there was also the a link spam update. So that was specifically related to link spam. Um, and they were also, you know, encouraging site owners to implement these new link attributes that they have. So rel sponsored, rel UGC, which obviously helps Google to like train their algorithms, I assume, to figure out what's a sponsored link and what's not. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's all, it's just like so many different moving pieces. Um, and a lot of it, from my perspective, like I talk a lot about EAT and I actually do think what you just described, that topical authority, I think that is EAT. I literally think that's exactly what these algorithms are trying to achieve. Um, and I, you know, historically, I think that it affected your money, your life sites disproportionately. So health and, and finance and things like that. Um, but I think that this year, actually, EAT has been more focused on affiliate content and product review content, not just with the product review site but or updates, but also with core updates as well. Right. Oh, so Google started off with the kind of the really dangerous or kind of slightly risky ones where they're recommending content and they're worried that they're recommending content that isn't actually uh, valuable or helpful or necessarily help, uh, healthy for people. Moving out to affiliates, which is perhaps the next step out, presumably 2022, uh, I'll stick my neck out yet again, and you can not agree with me if you want to, they'll be pushing EAT out to ooh, all this, this kind of application of EAT mm in depth to all types of sites. Presumably that's where they're building towards. That's a very interesting theory. I think, yeah, I never oh, thought I about thought it, it that yours. way. Well, no, it's an, <laughs> like that, that timeline of where EAT applies is really interesting because for sure they, they started really honing in on EAT and focusing on EAT. From my perspective, like in conjunction with a lot of bigger initiatives that Google was doing with combating disinformation, focusing on election safety, um, right. reducing fake news and the search results and things like that. So I think that's like how EAT started. And especially with like medical information and COVID like really exacerbated, yeah. you know, not wanting to rank anything that has problematic medical advice or anything like that. But that's a good point that it might be rolling out to other types of sites now. Um, and well, I mean, sorry, yeah. I'm just 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 cut in. I mean, basically, I thought that's what you thought because you basically bet your farm, although you <laughs> don't have a farm, you're in New York, but you bet your farm on EAT, and you're 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 really pushing the boundaries of kind of what we all understand about EAT, and 
brilliant yeah. stuff from you. But from my perspective, I, I basically just thought, right, what they've done or what they're presumably doing is they've taken what I would consider to be a manageable chunk, but it must be billions of web pages and websites, and said, we can focus on this thing that's really important to our users, and we, we want to make sure we, we can reduce the, the mess-ups that we make there and then mm. expand out, and I'm guessing, yeah. of course. Yeah. No, I mean, they, they literally say in various documentation that, like, EAT is more important or authoritativeness is more important during times of crisis or during, like, elections mm. or during these periods when misinformation runs rampant and they need to make sure that the most authoritative results rank first. So you'll see during, like, COVID, when it's been really bad waves of COVID, at least in the U.S., the FDA and the CDC, like, two government institutions that deal with disease and everything, like, they were number one for everything. Um, and then there was kind of like Google maybe dialed that back a little bit and you would see like sites like Amazon and things returning to where the CDC was. So I think that they're playing with that, like in conjunction with world events. But this year, I think, yeah, I think it's a really great point that they're kind of like applying EAT to another batch of sites that have generated a lot of spam on Google um, right. or just bad like unhelpful results yeah i think kind of we often forget i mean the idea that i land on an affiliate site and it, it reflects badly on google that they've recommended that site to me and i was on a site earlier on looking for an answer to a question and it was just gazillions of ads and i, right. I bounced and tried to find another site and from my perspective i was thinking oh come on google get it right and it's rare from my perspective that i really kind of think this is awful, but it was pretty awful for that particular result. And that's something they're really struggling to get away from. A lot of people criticize them a great deal for these bad results. Are they really that prevalent? I think so, yeah. I mean, I think the extent to which Google seems to be um, attacking like the affiliate industry recently, like it, it's it makes sense. Like, for example, we've had clients come to us this year who run affiliate networks mm. and you look at the sites and they're terrible i'm sorry but like it's just maybe it worked several years ago to start you know product review websites just buy a domain start a product review site put some garbage content and then make affiliate revenue and google's probably dealing with such a huge volume of these types of mm. sites not to say that all affiliate sites are like that but like there has to be this disproportionate you know amount or number of sites that fall into that category to the point where Google's like, we have to do something about this because it's a big problem. Yeah, I, and whether it's a big problem for the world in general or not isn't really the point. It's, it makes them look stupid, which is obviously mm -hmm. something they're trying to avoid because they're selling as a product, which is great search results, theoretically. Exactly. Um, and the the affiliates thing, kind of that really intrigued me because it comes down to now saying you can be an affiliate site, but you have to bring extra value in what you're actually saying about the products or the recommendations you're bringing. Uh, kind of how's that going to play out? Great question. So they actually, when they uh, published this recent product review update, they also published new guidelines around product reviews, which they also did earlier this year, but they literally just like last week or the week before right. published some new ones. So what they said with this one and they also clarified that this new document with best practices doesn't apply to the current update that just got rolled out. So this is like a future state of best practices. Right. But they said like product review websites should have like visual examples and video examples of you Ooh. actually using the product, which I thought was a really bold move. And they also said that consumers or users like to see affiliate links to different sites like not just 
Amazon across the board. So Google's really getting deep with like its criteria for what it means to have a good product review site because most of these sites just link to Amazon, honestly. Right. Oh, I've got. I've actually got a really. That was a great answer, by the way. Uh, it was a great question, as you said, Thanks. and that's the most flattering thing you can say to somebody who's interviewing <laughs> you. Um, and so I'm going to say that was a great answer because it was. But it actually just made me think of something. I'm I'm a musician. You're a DJ. I spend quite a lot of time researching pedals, an effects pedal I bought for my bass the other day. And sure. it just struck me that I go to these sites and they will actually show a video or do an in-depth kind of description of what it does and how it's helped them. And then they usually give actually multiple affiliate links, one to Amazon, one to Toman, and one to Clearwater, I think the third one often is. Um, so presumably that would be a good template to follow. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to speak out of turn because I know that there's like actual policies that the affiliates have around linking to other platforms. Right. So I also thought, and Glenn Gabe was the first one to point this out, was like, wait, there's like terms of service with these affiliate networks. Mm. So it's kind of interesting that Google's suggesting that you put multiple links on the page because for some people, that's actually just not possible. Right. Ooh. So maybe strong arming people like Amazon or companies like Amazon to open up a bit and, and, and allow more competition. But that's obviously weakening them and strengthening Google once again. Um, but the, 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 I mean, from the music perspective point of view, I actually found it really useful as a user. Yeah. I was buying a Boss um, loop pedal because I want to try, try to play the bass and then play the bass over the bass and then play the bass over the bass and then sing on it. Um, <laughs> haven't got that far yet because it's really difficult. But the, the the person who wrote the review reckoned it was really easy, and him on his pedal on his video just made it look so easy. I bought it. What a fool. Anyway, back to the updates. I don't know how you remember them all from this year because they're all I don't thirty maybe. If I if you saw my screens right now, you'd see my second screen has the Moz Google algorithm update history page pulled up because there's just no chance. It's like. Who can memorize all this stuff? <laughs> You're a genius. I wouldn't have thought that. Brilliant, wonderful. Because I'm only tracking the knowledge graph, so I just don't need to worry about that. So in the in the in the updates, what did we start with in 2021? Let's go back to the start of the year. What what was the first big hit? Well, according to Moz, it was passage indexing. There's a lot of different like I'd forgotten updates. about that already. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of updates that don't get grouped into these like roundup articles because they're like visual updates to the SERP. So like we have to keep those in mind as well because that changes every day. To your point earlier, like, okay, now top stories takes up the whole page. Like just so many different aesthetic changes that Google's made. But yeah, passage indexing was a pretty big deal. That affected uh seven percent of queries. So Is that lot. something you remember or something you just read off the screen? I both because it's a really <laughs> yeah. big number. Apparently like the penguin update was something along those lines as well in terms of the impact. Um, I don't remember the exact number, but passage indexing was a very, very big deal in terms of the scale of its impact. And, and what was your understanding about how it actually impacted either crawling indexing or and or the SERPs? My understanding is that this is a perfect example of something that like 95% of the SEO industry doesn't understand what it is. Um, it's very nuanced. So... And a lot of people still get it very mixed up because it's confusing. First of all, the name is confusing. Um, you know, Google also implemented like scroll to text in featured snippets almost at like the right. same time or a similar time. So it's like when you when you see a featured snippet and you click on the result and it jumps to a highlighted section of the page on Chrome, people think that's passage indexing because that's 
kind of how passage indexing or ranking was supposed to work. Like the idea behind it is that Google is able to take a passage on a given page and rank the page because of that passage, as opposed to because of like the quality of the page overall. So it allows Google to analyze individual passages and rank the page accordingly. Um, it doesn't have anything to do with featured snippet displays or scroll to text or anything like that. So there's so many misconceptions around it, mm. but the, the main takeaway is you can't do anything about it. Just write good content. Right. Yeah, but the, the idea of ranking because of a passage in the page does, in fact, require from our perspective as users that we can actually get to it. Because I mean, I, I do the demonstration for my clients all the time, especially on FAQ pages with 50 questions on them. You're saying you just search for that. You've arrived on the page. You're scrolling through and you now have to search through the entire 50 mm. FAQ to actually find it. Um, and so kind of from that perspective, being able to scroll straight to it is incredibly helpful. Um, and what the only problem I see with that whole kind of thing is ranking because of a passage when that passage is at the bottom is going to be a bad user experience. Unless you fix the user experience. So you can introduce site links and tables of contents, and then Google itself can jump to that site link if you provide them. So that's like probably one of the main strategies my team and I work on with a lot of sites that we work on because, and you'll see it, like top performing websites all have jump links because the, the Pages are very robust in nature. They yeah. answer lots of different questions. They have FAQs and things like that. Every article that I write about core updates, I add jump links because it's like you don't want the user to sit there and have to scroll through all this content. So just make it easy on the user. Right, which is something we should have been doing anyway for the user for years and years and years. And the idea of chunking, and Bing talks about chunks of content. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, with Gutenberg, we talk about blocks. Cindy Crumb talks about fraggles. Uh, the whole thing is basically thinking in chunks because that's how we function as human beings. And that's how Google now is looking at these pages. How very delightful. What was the next one? Next one was a mystery featured snippet drop that was then later recovered between February and March. 40% day-over-day drop in the SERPs and featured snippets. I guess that was just one of many glitches, for lack of a better word. <laughs> I don't want to say glitch, but there's been some outages this year. Um, there was like an August a day when Google lost like trillions of URLs from the index and then put them back. Do you remember Good that? Point. Nope, I don't actually. I was probably paying, not paying attention to, not paying attention to that, paying attention to other things. But go ahead, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell yeah, me. Yeah, it was, um, you can actually see it in Systrix because I use Systrix to monitor visibility over time. And certain sites, it's like, I want to say like August 8th or something. It's like they completely lost all visibility for two days and then got it all back. Um, and it actually says that was the Google indexing bug. So there's been a few examples of that. There was also, unfortunately, um, an outage in Google Search Console where we lost a lot of data. And I this is so nerdy that I remember this, but it was August 23rd. <laughs> <laughs> in case you couldn't tell, my entire life is shaped by these events. Um, but yeah, August 23rd, we lost like a ton of data in, in Search Console. And that was just a few days after some major update. So it was like... Yeah, so and that hard. reminds me, like, it was two and a half years ago, and uh, there, I was in Australia for, for a conference, and Gary Irish was there as well, and it was just after, if I remember rightly, somebody shot a shard out, and it propagated the entire new index when it shouldn't have done, so they had to pull the entire index back, and they dumped a, the old index back online. <laughs> Nobody noticed from the SEO industry, which is delightful. And then at the same time, they had a thing where all the links were Facebook or something like that. All the all the URLs they were showing were Facebook. Wow. But it actually linked to the correct page. I can't remember the details. Something That's... like that. It was one of these kind of major mess ups. You gotta think, yeah, it's gonna happen. And when it happens with Google, it happens at a massive scale. 
Yeah, which reminds me, uh, jumping ahead, but the title title get in in August. Oh, oh, go on, go, go off on that. You 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 got right annoyed about that. That's didn't you? that's why I remember August twenty third because right. it was in the middle of all this chaos. And uh, <laughs> yes, I definitely shouted about it quite a bit. I also had clients that lost hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not sure. more, from it. So like. Yes, it's not just me who's upset about it. They fixed it since then, for the record. Um, But it was another example where, like, from my perspective, Google was not ready to launch that update. I'm sorry, but it just, there were so many examples of where it went wrong. And people were sending them to me, people were submitting them, like, one after another. It was, like, breaking titles, punctuation was breaking things, misleading titles. Like, if you looked at the New York Times, it would just take things out of context. And it's like, this is bad. (laughs) Like, EAT is really important, but it's also really important that Google reflects what the writer and the author intended to say with the content in the title. Sure. Like, um, yeah, yeah. So I, I didn't mean to kind of come down on you for that. It's just kind of in my little world, it didn't seem particularly important. But when you put it like that, you go, "Yeah, I'm I'm just not paying attention to the right <laughs> things in a real business world." I'm afraid. Uh, I'm I'm. Uh, what's the word? I'm just too curious. Curious George the monkey. That's who I am. You're in the in knowledge graph TV world. Suit. It's a different world. I, yeah, I love it, but that's a different story. And I've, I've had that <laughs> bit of my conversation earlier on. I'm not allowed a second bit of that conversation. So the, the, I mean, but the title, you said they've now reverted it. The idea was that they released it. You feel they weren't ready. It messed a lot of stuff up and they've reverted it or they've, they've rolled it back to mm. much less impact. So uh, this is one of those examples where people are like, Oh, like I didn't see it impact my sites. It's not that big of a deal. I'm like, well, they're not looking hard enough because yeah, it impacted sorry. a lot of different sites. No, no, it's fine. Not you. I'm just talking about like there was. Yeah, but so I much... just said exactly that. <laughs> no, it's like I work at an agency. I have like honestly dozens, yeah. if not hundreds, of clients. I also work in a capacity where I'm looking at like thousands of domains at scale all the time. Right. So there were a lot of pretty severe changes from that update. Um, and the SEO industry, including me and a lot of others, like gave Google a lot of feedback. They, they created a form where we could submit feedback. I think we sent enough egregious examples to the point where um, I want to say like two weeks after the rollout, Google literally put out a PR statement and was like, we're like making some changes. Um, 85% or something of page titles, like HTML titles should be used as the title on Google. Um, when they first rolled out the title update, it was definitely not that high. It was a it was a large percentage of sites that were seeing their titles changed, but so, since that up, or since that like press release that Google put out, I've noticed that most of the bad examples that I found have been reverted back to what they were. And then you know in situations where Google does change the title, they're usually just using like the H1 or something that makes sense. Right. Oh, they've got they've got less adventurous, or they're letting the machine less loose. And I think kind of that's part of the ML machine learning thing is that maybe sometimes we all get the impression the machine can do more than it actually can, and the machine when it gets it wrong, it gets it phenomenally wrong. And Andrea Volpini from Wordlift talks delightfully about the dance between humans and machines, yeah. and not to forget that the machine. What was it? The machine can't count to three. It doesn't actually know what it's saying. <laughs> um, so that's reassuring. Th- yeah, and well, it's a predictive thing whereby you give it one word and it predicts the next word, then the next word. Got it. And obviously, when that goes wrong and it starts to go wrong, the machine just gets it increasingly horribly wrong as Oof. it moves forwards uh, because it's purely prediction. Right. 
word on word. So it doesn't actually know what it's saying. And that kind of is scary. Uh, so you've got to be incredibly careful. Now I'm giving lessons to Google about how to manage that machine learning rollout. <laughs> I do apologize to anybody at Google who might conceivably be watching this. Obviously, right. I know nothing. I mean, yes, I always, I always want to be clear that like they're what they're doing is like it's extraordinarily hard work and like of course it's <laughs> it makes sense that there are like errors and things that need to be rolled back but to me that was one of the more extreme examples of things going wrong that I've yeah, seen. Yeah, perhaps taking taking too big a risk with something that they perhaps weren't yet quite ready with. So back to where were we February or March? February or March. So April was the product review update. Um I was excited about this one because I've had some clients and people that I've spoken to who do product reviews and had been waiting for the next core update to roll out because core updates, um, for anybody who's unfamiliar, like the way they work is they tend to impact certain sites. And if those sites spend a lot of time fixing things, you probably won't see the results of your efforts until the next core update rolls out or potentially the one after that. And so I had a lot of people who were like, eagerly awaiting the core update. And then the product review update happened and actually benefited those sites. So that was cool to see. Um, but then, yeah, I think one of the biggest takeaways from the April product review update was that I learned how many sites are considered product review sites by Google. <laughs> it's a lot. Right. And we don't necessarily realize that that's the case. Also, one thing that we don't really realize is that these are often very much segmented by vertical. I mean, product mm -hmm. reviews is one thing, but it can also be uh, health sites or whatever it is. And, and, and a lot of, I mean, my clients, the few that I have left now that I'm working very little on uh, traditional, as I call it, SEO, which is slightly insulting, um, <laughs> immediately contact me and say, oh, there's been an update. Has it all gone horribly wrong for us? And you say, well, it's not necessarily within your industry that it's going to have a massive mm. effect. Yeah. Um, to what extent do you see it being kind of mapped to industries? And, and, and how much should people research that before panicking? That's a great point. Um, I mean, Google will tell you it doesn't impact any specific industry more than another one. My research proves that that's not exactly the case. Um, there's definitely types of sites that get impacted with a lot of these updates. There's also plenty of sites, maybe 50 or 60% of our clients that don't get impacted like ever. And what's interesting is that a lot of the SEOs and like particularly in-house SEOs, be like, what's the big deal about core updates? Why does everybody talk about core updates? I'm like, clearly your site doesn't get impacted, but that doesn't mean that other sites like don't or do don't, whatever. Right. We've had clients that have lost 80% of traffic overnight from core oh, updates. So if you're impacted, you're impacted very heavily. Um, and I think that's the case with product review updates as well. So now it's like two different breeds of core updates that are happening. Yeah. And then kind of you're in the situation where it's a real all or nothing game relying very much on Google, uh, which is perhaps not a really brilliant way to, to be building a, a business online. Or am I yeah. uh, once again oversimplifying? Of course, you should try to get traffic from other channels, but you know Google's uh, the biggest player in the game, so it's it's hard to not focus on SEO. I think there's more focus on SEO now than I've ever seen throughout my career. Yeah, right. I mean, it it, it is phenomenal. It, it, it a lot of focus, but also incredible number of updates, especially this year, which makes that focus slightly more dangerous. So, if you move forward from April, what's the next one on your list? Like, you get to choose because you're the guest. Um. So we had the June and July core updates. That was like a two-part core update. 
Um, Google actually pre-announced that this is going to be a two-part core update. I also just totally skipped over the page experience update because I'm so done talking about it. Um, right. But also, I think it's funny enough, they probably got the most attention of the SEO industry and the least impact. Yeah. So. No. Yeah. No, that that for me that was that was a bit of a do you call it a wet balloon a wet feather a rock <laughs> something like that rat or something is it, yeah everyone made a big fuss Google made a big fuss it came out and nothing happened and um, a guy from Duda whose name has slipped my mind for the moment was saying basically a Duda with the masses of data they they have they didn't see any real difference and they have apparently great um, Core Web Vitals performances. <laughs> Um, and he was saying it didn't make any difference, and it was a lot of f a lot of fuss about not very much. It's exactly what they told us would happen, for the record, for anybody that was paying attention. Like it was one of those like this is a small ranking factor. It's going to be incorporated into the page experience algorithm, which already had considered things mm -hmm. like page speed and usability and everything. Um, but at my perspective throughout the whole experience was like SEOs love these scorecards, and they love. Right seeing yeah. the green check mark and they focus so much time and energy on that when the content's not good <laughs> like, but, good luck. but isn't that a lot to do with the clients is that you can say i've done this and you can show them a thing that's gone from amber to green or from red to amber or to and, yeah. and that for a client is really reassuring and that the fact that it doesn't actually have any real impact <laughs> isn't the point Yes, I think clients love the green check mark, especially when it comes directly from Google. What was interesting about this update was that it got so blown out of proportion, not just by SEOs, but by like anyone in marketing. Like, you know, CEOs knew about this thing. It was such a big oh. topic of conversation that it was actually kind of sad after it launched because they were like, we invested so much money and time and energy into fixing our core web vitals and nothing happened. I'm like, yeah. And that right. unfortunately makes them trust us less. So that was one bad outcome of the whole thing. <laughs> oh dear. Well, they, well, in fact, CEOs were talking about CWV, which is a delightful double acronym. <laughs> we weren't going to talk about that. We were going to skip on to the June and July updates, and we've completely failed. Mm. June and July. June and July. Um, so honestly, like I don't even remember the biggest takeaway from these ones. I do remember one of them resulted in a lot of dictionary sites increasing in visibility. Um, the July update resulted in a lot of international TLDs right. of big brands like Amazon and Pinterest uh, seeing big declines in the US. So that was an interesting outcome. But I don't know that I have like a major takeaway about what I think happened with either of these updates. Right, which is which is curious because basically the, the core algorithm updates, June, July, and now November, you kind of say, well, not much happened, but then the product review updates, absolutely masses happen. So the core updates are like the core web vitals, something that gets announced and actually doesn't really have that much effect or is that generalizing had, way too much? Yeah, it had effect. I, I don't, I want to be clear that so definitely sites were impacted. I just like, you know, with the medic update, for example, it's pretty clear what happened. Um, sure. That's why we call it the medic update. A, a bunch of other types of sites were impacted, but like, it's very clear that there's a lot of sites that had natural wellness recommendations um, for how to treat medical conditions that lost all their visibility overnight. That's a very clear pattern that we can take away from that update. I don't know that I saw as many similar patterns with the June and July updates, except again, um, there seems to be like this recalibration of intent that's happening with each of these updates. So I think that like dictionary and definition sites is an intent in and of itself, defining mm. a word is an intent. And I believe it was the July core update when a lot of different types of sites were replaced by dictionary sites. So right. maybe Google thinks that the intent is to define more words than before. 
Well, I mean, m maybe shorthead queries would tend to be definitions because they're incredibly vague and people are starting their research on a dictionary mm -hmm. site or an encyclopedia site is more relevant. And maybe that would potentially help us to prevent our clients focusing on those shorthead juicy keywords mm -hmm. and get more into the, 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 the longer tail stuff where there's real intent. I mean, that, that point about intent is something I fight about all the time. Yeah. Um, what's the intent and they're going yeah but search, the search volume is big and it's so right. annoying right it's that's probably the single biggest thing to focus on with each update it's like these sites didn't necessarily do anything right or wrong it's right. just that google decided this keyword should have a few affiliate results and then seven e-commerce results and it's like they're two different classifications of sites that are doing two different things some are reviewing some are selling products and based on Google's understanding of a given query, it's going to change that distribution based on what it thinks that the user intent is for that keyword. And that's different from keyword to keyword. So people lose sight of that because they think this site did something that I didn't do. You know, right. that's not always the case. Which I call competitor envy. Um, and the, the other thing as well, of course, is as you said, Google will disambiguate by including different types of answer that, or answers for different intent or solutions for different intent. Mm -hmm. And so you need to explain to your client, if you've created a page that simply explains what this is, you're competing for one of three places out mm. of the 10. If it's a video, you're competing for one of the four or five videos in the video carousel. And, and that is incredibly important because they think, well, there are 10 spots to be had. You go, well, actually, no, there are only three. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's hard to have those conversations with clients because it's like, and that was one of the big results with the product review update that I thought was interesting was that it wasn't just affiliate sites as you would traditionally think about them. We had a really interesting example where it was a B2B client that we had that has a service page or like a specific product that they sell. And that product moved down 50 positions during the product review update, even yeah. though they were ranking really well for like a non-branded transactional keyword. And what replaced them, it was all review sites. And then the the product review update like finished rolling out or a couple of weeks later, our client moved back onto page one. So they're selling the product and then there's people who are writing about it and reviewing the product. And I think that Google doesn't see them as the same thing. One of them is inherently biased. One of them is inherently selling something. The other one is supposedly objective. And I think depending on the query, they understand users either are searching for reviews and information or users are looking to buy. And that seems to be one of the biggest outcomes of these updates is that that distribution changes each time. Right. Oh, brilliant point. How delightful. And I mean, the other thing, of course, is, is clients who want to write pages saying the best red pen. Yeah. And you're saying, but Google knows that you're biased because yeah. that's what you sell and you're only presenting your one red pen. There isn't a choice. And yep. you think that Google is now starting to nail that. That is such a good point that comes up all the time with clients who sell something. Because if, if you're an e-commerce website, how can you be trusted to have an objective piece of content? Unless you're like um, Macy's and you have a page that's the five best looks for fall and it links to various Macy's products. Like that makes sense because you're not one brand. You're, I mean, mm. you are, but like you, you sell a million different brands, you know? Um, but it's really tricky if you just sell one product to say, here's the top five lipsticks for fall and it's all your your brand. Like that's not great for the user, you know? Yeah, sure. I mean, and then the other thing of course is as, as clients and SEOs, you kind of think if I was the user, that would really annoy me. Um, and we failed to see that, but that's a story for another day. Why don't we move forward the last five minutes? Let's move forward to 2022. Um, I, I was looking forward to this bit. 
Lily Ray's predictions for 2022. Let's go. What's going to happen first? <laughs> so not only predictions, but in the right order we're going for. Um, I think that Google is up to something really big with shopping in general. I think Ooh. a lot of this product review stuff and the announcements they've made related to like shopping with Google Lens, being able to identify products with Google Lens, um, Google's shopping graph, opening up Merchant Center to everyone. There's ads all over New York that say shop on Google. <laughs> like what's right. going on? So I don't know what it is, but something big. Probably Brilliant. trying to compete with Amazon. Oh, that, that's genius insight. Oh, oh, lovely. 2022, the year Google really took on Amazon. Um, and I do like the idea that you're just looking out the window in New York and figuring out what's happening online by looking offline outside your window. What's the second prediction for 2022? Not necessarily in the right order, of course. Um, I think I always say EAT, but I do think EAT is really important <laughs> in the sense that like, I think that it, they're getting smarter about these domain-wide evaluations of who's a subject matter expert or who's authoritative on certain topics, and that's going to influence your ability to rank or not rank in a bigger way than we've seen, which we've already seen it in a big way, but I think it'll get bigger. Right. So 2022, really start building up your topical authority. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, I would add to that, building up topical authority for Google to apply any EAT signals it might see, it needs to understand who you are in yeah. order to connect you to the topic and then on to the user's interests and, 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 and needs. Brilliant, wonderful. So third point, and then I'll let you go with three. I mean, I guess let's just say page experience, performance, you know, mm -hmm. usability, all that stuff. Who knows, maybe they'll introduce some new metrics. Um, mobile first indexing, they're finally switching over to that after three years next year. So <laughs> just focus on good a good mobile experience and, and speed and performance right. as much as possible. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe they're coming to the point where they can analyze pages better. We were talking to Martin Split with uh, Bartosz about the, the the rendering, and the more you listen to Martin, the more you see how good they're getting at it. Obviously, all with lots and lots of problems and barriers and issues that they have to deal with, but getting really smart at actually pretty much seeing as a machine what we're seeing as human beings. And the more yeah. they get that, the more they're going to be able to actually make sure that the landing page experience for their users is as good as possible. Absolutely brilliant. Um, that was delightful, Lily Ray. Uh, I loved every minute of it. Now we're going to Thanks. introduce next week, which is Dom Hodgson with Santa SEO. We decided we're going to have a bit of a festive um, episode. And Dom wanted to talk about Santa SEO, all about Christmas campaigns, going from SEO to PR, offline PR, and doing a window display on your website, whatever the, that might possibly mean. Dom's a delightful chap, and as we will see, he is also an embarrassing dad. I can barely read that. Could you pass the baton, Lily Ray, to Dom? Sure. Um, I don't have a baton with me, but here's your virtual baton, Dom Hodgson. Hope your podcast with Jason goes well, and uh, excited to see what, what this Christmas SEO strategy is going to look like. Brilliant. Well, it's going to be fun, whatever happens, because fun is what we're all about on Cali. No, we're not. We're about learning and getting into digital marketing and being <laughs> geeky. Thank you so much, Lily. You get the outro song. Of course. A quick goodbye to end the show. Thank you, Lily Ray. <laughs> Thanks, Jason.